This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Many people might be working on their New Year's resolution, hitting the gym, or going on a new diet to improve their lives by changing their bodies. However, our next guest says we might be overlooking our most important tool for affecting positive change, our thoughts. Harvard Business School Professor Emeritus Gerald Zaltman recommends a variety of exercises called Think Keys, which go through the mind's unconscious and conscious dynamics. He has used these techniques to help business leaders around the world, and he's got a new book out in which he shares this time-tested toolbox with readers. The book is titled Unlocked, Keys to Improve Your Thinking. Besides being a professor emeritus at Harvard Business School, Jerry is also a partner in the firm of Olson Zaltman Associates. Jerry, great to have you with us today. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I'm very pleased to join you and your audience. Thank you. Uh, part of this, and going through uh, parts of the book, you talk about thinking more clearly. And obviously, in today's society where we are, I think, more busy than ever, we have more touch points than ever, I would think that, that thinking clearly can really be a challenge. Well, it is a challenge. Um, uh, it's a challenge for a number of reasons, but let me just describe a concern that those reasons have, have created. Uh, and the concern I have is that we are becoming a nation of strangers. Uh, it's a situation where discussions of important topics are, are put off limits. Um, we can't ha- carry on conversations with people who are family members, uh, good friends, uh, good colleagues, because of very fundamental disagreements. Our thinking is foreign to one another. And that's concerning me, that there's, there's uh, not an openness to discussing conflicting information. Do you think that there is a way to to kind of work our way back to that? Because seemingly if you go back maybe 20 or 30 years, really pre-Internet, that was was how discussions occurred on a daily basis. That's right. And uh, I think there are ways of getting back to that more open, more civil, and more informative kind of exchange. But it's not going to happen overnight. We're, We're... facing a, a unique situation that didn't prevail, uh, you know, two and three, four decades ago. Uh, there's information is more abundant. Much of it is of questionable quality. Right. Uh, it's fractured. I, I sometimes think of it as being uh, a, a puzzle that used to have 100 pieces, and now it has 1,000 and possibly 400 of those aren't really relevant or accurate or appropriate. Uh, it's what someone else has labeled, the Rand Corporation has labeled tr- truth decay, mm-hmm. that there's less and less truth in the inf- in more and more information. And the result is we're becoming a, a nation of strangers to one another. I mentioned the think keys, and for people, when they pick up the book, there are a variety of, the, uh, of these throughout the book, uh, 39 of them to, to be exact. Take us through the process of really starting to figure out and find out what all of these think keys were. Um, I, first of all, they're uh, 
exercises, uh, devices, if you will, um, that I've developed over the course of my teaching, both MBA students and executive education uh, students, to help them understand the thinking dynamics that underlay the discussion of a particular case or a particular issue. And so they, they evolved gradually. Some I take rather directly from you know other sources. Uh, but in, in all cases, they are an attempt to get the each person to think of their own mind as a case study as opposed to someone else's mind. And that's a, a fun and challenging yeah. process. We are joined by uh, Harvard uh, Business School Professor Emeritus Jerry Zaltman. We're talking about his new book, Unlocked, Keys to Improve Your Thinking. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. So within all of these think keys, and, and when you when you try and and better understand what you may be going through, how positively or negatively at times do emotions play in this process? Well, I think emotions are very powerful. They're perhaps central to the process. Um, For example, first think of what an emotion is. It's, It's an unconscious physiological response to some stimulus. And those unconscious physiological dynamics will give rise to certain feelings, which we label as anger, sadness, surprise, disgust, whatever. Uh, Those feelings um, are what drive most of our thinking, most of our conscious thought. Mm -hmm. And when feelings or opinion, which, which arise from feelings, conflict with facts, it'll be those feelings, those opinions that will tend to prevail. Uh, And ultimately, those are rooted in one or another emotion or combination of emotions. So it's pretty hard to get away from emotions as a uh, often healthy platform for thinking. But then when you, when you think about it within the, the context of business, we're also at a time where we see this unbelievable level of transformation with many companies. Other companies still, when they have a, a level of success for a particular product or, or a path for their company, they stay on that path, even though maybe transformation might be important. But with all that level of transformation going on in society, I would think that the thought process and and what you're talking about with thinkies can be a challenging process as well. Well, it is a challenging process. Uh, unfortunately, there's, there's too much deference given to the desktop computer and not the neck top computer. Okay. And what we have to understand is that it's ultimately the necktop computer, the manager's mind, the quality of that mind and its, you know, its biases and, and proclivities uh, that ultimately determines success. Uh, and too often that mind is very much afraid of being wrong rather than being right. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite questions to, in uh, having discussions with managers is to 
pose this issue, which is also in the book. Which statement best describes you? A, I love being right, or B, I hate being wrong. <laughs> yeah. And there's a yeah. lot of equivocation because they're both true. You know, they're, we, we, everyone loves being right and, and hates being wrong. But when you push someone to have to choose between the two, which statement is most descriptive, even if by a little bit, uh, the great majority of people choose, I hate being wrong. Yeah. Uh, because of all the penalties that are attached to being wrong, uh, they're very severe, and they outweigh the, the benefits of being right. And that produces a lot of, let's do today what we did yesterday, and let's do tomorrow what we're doing today, uh, which creates a, a, a pattern that's very hard to get out of. We're talking with uh, Jerry Zaltman of uh, Harvard. Uh, he has written a book called Unlocked Keys to Improve Your Thinking. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at Biz Radio, B-I-Z Radio 132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. Now, you have these broken down into various uh, segments, uh, the Think Keys. And, and I wanted to go through a couple of these segments, if we could. And I'll start right at the top, because you talk about context. And, and I think context ends up becoming an incredibly important piece. And we'll use it in the perspective of of our channel in the fact that uh, business uh, sometimes context can can put you in a in a very good spot. It can also put you in a very wrong, uh, very tough spot. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true with regard to uh, both the context of the decision making group, a, a brand team, or an executive, uh, a, a group of executives. Uh, but also the context of the industry uh, and the proclivity to follow best practices in an industry without thinking if they apply or how they need to be adapted to your own setting, your own uh, particular organization. But context is, is extremely important. It's, it's sometimes said, off, uh, and I think correctly, so that the mind is not the possession of the individual. Um, but rather, it's uh, it, it, it's greatly shaped both in terms of its proclivities and its operations uh, by the setting in which it operates. Right. You also talk about assumptions. Uh, take us into why that is such an important area uh, for this process. Well, assumptions. Uh, generally lie outside of our active decision-making field. They're very powerful, and they provide a context, if you will, uh, for decision-making. But they're, 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 they're kind of like gum on, a, on, a, on the sole of your shoe. Uh, we may not always know they're there, but they're there. It affects, it affects things. And Changing our assumptions or even identifying them requires a lot of scraping of, you know, it's hard work. Um, One major assumption uh, that maybe illustrates this is that uh, we're aware of, we're knowledgeable of uh, 
our thinking processes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you ask someone, if you do you know how you're thinking, and they'll say yes. What they don't understand, what they're assuming is that the unconscious mind is relatively unimportant, when in fact it, it, it's very important. And it's where uh, assumptions live. But we don't go there very much. It's, it's kind of like a, um, a lit flashlight. If you ask it to shine wherever it's dark, mm-hmm. it looks in a lot of places, and every time it looks, it sees light, uh, it, not darkness. And so it misses the fact that it's surrounded by darkness, which are the assumptions we, uh, we make. You also talk about cues in the book, and, and I think in the context of business, I think this is a, a very interesting area because seemingly in in business today, it feels like uh, we are looking for cues from other people that we work with to to get a feeling for how they are approaching an idea, a project, or or how they feel about you know being in that particular company. Mm-hmm. Um. It's interesting. We've often done work on the topic of what's it like to be innovative or to lead an innovative program in your firm. Um, And people are asked to bring in images about the environment in which they work that relate to that issue. And it's extraordinary what the array of cues are that it turns out that they use in their environment. It could be... uh, you know, everything from the perceived facial uh, reactions of someone to, uh, to, to an idea, to the way in which a memorandum is formatted. It's quite extraordinary. So we're very attentive in ways that we're often not aware of um, to a variety of signals of questionable validity. <laughs> about the uh, uh, merits of an idea we're putting forth or what ideas we should put forth. You also uh, spend some time uh, talking in the book about metaphors, which I think so many people use metaphors from time to time in their speech. But there's also elements of this that you discuss in terms of body metaphors as well. Right. Actually, metaphors are not something we use from time from time. From time to time, we actually uh, use about six metaphors, more or less, give or take a couple, uh, per minute of speech. Wow. And many of these metaphors are so obvious, we don't even think of them in in that way. And many of those are embodied metaphors, uh, where we use our elements of our physiological experience as a yardstick. So we say that someone is moving up the corporate ladder, mm-hmm. a question of orientation, or someone is a big shot um, or ahead of the pack, which is a, a physical position, a physical orientation relative to, uh, to followers or to those who are not quite as big um, in, in their... Uh, prominence, social prominence. Um, and these, are, these have a powerful impact on our thinking. Uh, and again, that's something that happens unconsciously. 
you spend time in the book talking about attention as well. And, and what is it specifically about attention that is, is significant for what you're relaying here? Well, um, f- first of all, we have a limited attention budget. So if we're paying attention to certain things, we're not paying attention to other things. And uh, one of the most popular, well-known examples is the uh, so-called invisible gorilla, where uh, you've probably seen this, maybe many people in your audience uh, have seen seen this, where a group of people, some wearing... uh, white shirts, some wearing dark shirts, are passing a basketball to one another. And uh, the observer is asked to count the number of times the people in the white shirts uh, pass the basketball to one another, while the, the people in the black shirts are passing another basketball. And people count, and they, and they generally uh, come up with a, a, a correct answer or very close to the correct answer. What half the people engaged in this exercise miss is that about halfway through the video clip, someone dressed in a gorilla outfit walks into the middle of the group, pounds its chest, and continues walking out. People are so focused on the directive, uh, count the number of passes, that they literally do not attend to or see the gorilla, which is a, a major disruption in the scene. Yeah. And much as we, we often miss disruptive innovations in, in our industry. Um, that's, that's an interesting phenomena all on its own, but a deeper analysis of it also shows the importance of the question or assignment that people have as a way of focusing attention. Um, Had you asked a different question, you know, uh, people might well have noticed, most people might well notice the gorilla walking through the group. Right. So that raises a rather important issue of whether whether we're asking the right question and how the question drives our thinking. You also talk about curiosity, which uh, I, I be, I, I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts on, because curiosity is something that uh, is it's ingrained in us. Uh, it's part of, of, of who we are, to be curious about, uh, about a wide range of things. It is. It's, it's, uh, it's the, the home base, home plate for, uh, for imagination, which is where I think competitive advantage lies. One of the things that disturbs me greatly is that in society as a whole, but especially I think in business as well as in our schools, our educational process generally, we do an awful lot to discourage curiosity. Um, we, and it's maybe part of the issue of fear of being wrong and not being willing to take risks, mm-hmm. but it, um, it's the product, I think, that the, the, the foe, rather, of curiosity is really the avoidance of disconfirming evidence, or what I think of as knowledge disavowal. Um, 
we're afraid to find out things that contradict us. Right. And I believe that is a major reason why certain market research doesn't get used or doesn't get used more robustly. Right, or you pick out certain aspects of the market research to reinforce the the narrative that you're trying to bring forward and edit out the the, the parts that that you don't want to bring forward. Exactly. Um, one of the uh, questions I always like to to put on give to my students or challenges is to say, okay, what if you're wrong in in that position that you're advocating with regard to whether you should enter. Uh, a new market or not, or right. whatever the issue might be. Uh, what if you? What if that turned out to be wrong? What evidence have you looked at that you would use to explain uh, a failed action or a decision? And it's extraordinary how little attention people give to if, to premortems to figuring out what information would contraindicate a particular action. Right. There's something I, I think of as knowledge creep, where the more you wrestle with a decision, the more uh, information that conflicts with the emerging the emerging action tends to get ignored, and uh, that that that's I think displays a lack of curiosity. Jerry, thank you very much for coming on the show today and discussing the book. It, it's uh, it really does uh, it, it is a, a entertaining book to go through and, and think about a variety of these things. I greatly appreciate your time and all the success with the book. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, uh, Jerry Zaltman, who is uh, emeritus uh, professor at uh, Harvard Business School, and he is also a partner in the firm of Olson Zaltman Associates, uh, joining us here on the show. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.